Hello and welcome to Game Studies Review. We have something weird, something exciting. Typically our jam is we read a new article in the field of game studies, game design, etc, 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 and talk to you about it so that you don't have to do any reading. But today we've got something different. We have a new thing. Cody, this was your idea. Tell us about what we're doing today. I don't, I'm trying to remember now that you say it, how it even came up, but uh, we stumbled upon the idea during our last recording of doing like a throwback Tuesday, throwback Thursday kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We're recording on a Tuesday, so maybe we'll release it on a Thursday, but a throwback episode uh, to kick it back to the article that sort of started my career Mm -hmm. uh, when I was but a a wee lad uh, master's student um, who stumbled upon the field of game studies, uh, not knowing that it was a thing you could study Um, as somebody who loved playing games and loved games and thought a lot about games and cared a lot about games, but didn't had it had never crossed my mind that one could like study them academically um so we're taking a look at the the article that kicked it all off for me my first foray into game studies it's julian kuklich's 2003 perspectives on computer game philology from game studies uh 3.1 and so uh alex you and i were in a class at saint cloud state university in their graduate program their master's program for yeah, shout out for to SCSU, their English master's program. We were in Kevin Moberly's class and the uh, Mob. The Mob. Uh, shout out to to Doctor Moberly, who is a games scholar uh, mm-hmm. and a rhetorician, and you know uh, a all around smart and amiable fellow. And we were in his class on new media rhetorics, rhetorics in new media, I think it was called, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was simultaneously with Judy Dorn's class on bibliographic strategies. Uh, I, oof, I don't remember like. that one. Um, but so for Dr. Moberly's class, uh, I happened to stumble into uh, Kuklich's article and and therefore game studies as a, as a journal and the field of game studies. And... Um, it kind of blew my mind. And so I don't I want to remember. paint a picture. Can I paint a picture of young Cody and young when Alex I still back had then? hair and and a, a much smaller beard? Sure. Go for it. C- Cody had hair back then. We spent uh, an inordinate amount of time. I mean, it was sort of like like imagine Dead Poet Society 2.0. Like we were so <laughs> into. Is that a compliment? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. But it was like it was just this beautiful time. I'm probably remembering it really nostalgically. But, you know, we did these late night pizza and beer sessions where we would just argue and discuss these things. We would sit at Cody's apartment and you would smoke your corn cob pipe and we would eat barbecues because we were so poor and we would just read and read and read. And we had these big stacks of books um, in my in my uh, office or in on your like living room floor, just these, you know, and that was a first person scholar just come out that we're reading. And it was like this thirst for knowledge. And, and it, it stands out to me because we're in this new media rhetorics class and nobody else read the shit. Nobody else cared what was going on. They're just kind of BSing their way through to try to get their degree. And Cody and I are just like, a light had shown on our souls that this thing that we had loved is a thing that we could yeah. maybe go make a living at. So it was a, it was a very, very fond time in my life. 
And it was it was the class wasn't necessarily centering game studies, Mm-mm. right? It was it was a like high theory doctor McLuhan, Jameson, McLuhan, yep. Jameson, Adorno, and Horkheimer, Althusser, Baudrillard. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was theory heavy. Let's think about how media scholars write and you know talk about rhetoric and and new media. And so, uh, and it just so happened though that you know. Uh, Kevin Moberly also did game stuff. And so when I kind of stumbled upon this, I got really good sort of direction and support. And like, yes, people who with English degrees can do this stuff. You know, it's not just <laughs> other folks who, yeah. who are allowed academically to care and study games. You have That's a place. Right. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a kind of confluence, a perfect storm. I, I have fond memories too, Alex, but I think may, maybe some rose colored glasses, you know. I in, remember it being perfect. Like, it, 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 it was perfect. a great time. It was a great time. I think about that a lot, like the importance of um, a master's and a PhD in my life has been about the conversations that happen at the tavern over pizza or at the at the uh, uh, outside picnic table over barbecues or at Gray House having coffee at 6 a.m. before class starts. Like those were the conversations that shaped my education so much more, I think, than basically anything else that I encountered. I would agree that those are like the invaluable in between spaces that yeah. like the time and space for that kind of education really benefit from and and thrive, you know, because of. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, it was let's, so let's new. Talk. What year it, is this? Two thousand. It was two thousand eight, two thousand seven. No, 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 no. The, oh, the, the time in our lives that this yeah. was happening that we're reading this. Two thousand seven, two thousand. This was pretty new in in yep. in academia. Um, I had been studying lit, so to learn you can study these other things, amazing. Yeah. So anyway, we should get to the article. We should. Everybody's like, we're not listening to hear about your life stories. <laughs> Just give us the the straight dope on this article. Well, that's too fucking bad because we're it's the our podcast. It's my <laughs> that's po- right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you will listen to every word that I have to say. All right. Well, lay it out for us ahead or or give us two times speed. But That's so uh, what and, and I hope I'm uh, pronouncing Kuklich right uh, in my head. It was always so adamant, but I'm realizing that I'm now less sure it's got an umlaut in there. And so anyways, uh, what Kuklich is writing about is how to try to bring literary studies to games in a useful and appropriate manner. So this is kind of still in the, you know, heat of the kind of narratology, ludology, uh, debate and divide. And he is uh, bringing a literary studies take to video games or, or rather computer games as they're written about as a contribution rather than theoretical imperialism. Shout out Arseth and mm-hmm. tackles the issues of text and code, interactivity and narrative. And he observes that the issues in the scholarship about narrative approaches to games has less to do with the inappropriateness of the kind of undertaking and more about the misapplication of the models. He's saying most of the time that people are complaining about narratology and narratologists and narrative approaches to games, um, it's not because that is not you know uh, appropriate. It's because those models suck and are a misfit. <laughs> um, and so he is going to try to start the groundwork, um, provide some perspectives on computer game philology and philology is um you know like a predecessor to linguistics i think um in like the uk and 
you know, Europe and other countries, it's still like a domain of study. I don't think America typically has philology programs. We don't care about uh, that anymore. I could be nope. I could be wrong, but uh, it's mostly linguistics. But um, so Kuklich is trying to offer this and he does some pretty, you know, careful hedging, especially given that it appears in game studies uh, to try to situate why this is useful and valuable and, you know, shouldn't be discarded as as, you know, theoretical imperialism. Why is it useful and valuable, Cody? <clears throat> um, because games are texts and they tell stories, whether they're intentionally doing so or not. Um, so he's, he is suggesting adapting what he is calling, uh, radical constructivism to address the problems facing what he sees as a pro post-structuralist approach to theorizing games. And so he's got this pretty, you know, uh, careful, but theoretical walkthrough of the kind of at the time, current literature on games. And he sees post-structuralism as coming with a kind of two-level model. And he points to several people using this, um, looking at the code of games and the user interface of games and how that can't reconcile or account for the variability in play uh, because the player is interfacing with UI and not the code. And he's saying, this is you know not really a great fit. Um, and you know, so radical constructivism helps us account for how we come to this. He's advocates for treating computer games as non-trivial machines whose output is uh, not totally predictable, but that are built within trivial machines uh, as a way to try to start giving some perspectives on, you know, how we can understand stories and narratives emerging from these ludic uh, sorts of spaces. Like Inception with trivial philology. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. Uh, he writes that, quote, the art of making a good game then depends to a high degree on a careful balance of giving the player the feeling of interacting with a non-trivial machine that has some trivial features, uh, end quote. And so is trying to make sense of the current state of literature, discussing, theorizing how we should study and understand games as an emerging new media. Uh, he suggests regarding computer games as non-trivial machines um, that are built in trivial machines, as I said, instead of textual objects consisting of two levels, um, you know, we can return to why not textual objects with more than one level or more, more than two levels, but mm -hmm. um, that's that's another take. And then he sees space also for a semiotic approach to understanding narrative in games based on Pierce's semiosis, which is infinite interpretations of a sign uh, accruing and accumulating a complexity of meaning uh, for that sign. And so continuous play helps uh, kind of um, aggregate meaning for uh, the game's symbols and signs. And then finally, he suggests uh, that we consider interactivity as a concept or with the concept uh, of the model of the reader, uh, the model reader, and also model player um, as somebody whose abilities expand in the process of playing. So the, the idea of the model reader, he says, is useful, but we can take it and turn it into the model reader. And that is useful for understanding and getting some perspective on interactivity. Um, That's a lot. I, yeah, it is a lot, and it's not all that long of an article, but there's certainly a lot going on. Um, I'm I'm curious how the article strikes you, Alex, um, both in terms of nostalgia, because I remember you read it at the time, too. You even yeah. presented on it um, mm -hmm. in, in uh, Moberly's class, or maybe it was a subsequent class. Uh, and I'm curious how it hits you now, 
20 years. Does that make you feel old? I know. 20 years later, here we are in 2023. This was released in 2003. Uh, how's it stand? How's it hold up? Um, what what did we see? Uh, where did we see it go from here? Before I get into that, I want to do another throwback Tuesday to Scholars, a <laughs> uh, not a. It was an online blog that Cody and I had started to talk about. It was an academic blog to talk about games. Mm-hmm. Right. And this was our our first kind of foray into doing funny projects together that we're, you know, in in the areas of overlap and interest that we have. And here we are 20 years later at Game Studies Review, still doing <laughs> some weird projects together. I think uh, I, I pitch weird ideas to you and you're like, oh, man, Alex, I'm going to be putting all the work into this. Well, you just have ideas, aren't I? And then we go off and do some cool stuff together. So. I'd like to think of this podcast as Scholars 2.0. Yes. So I've got, I, as you were, were saying all that, I found my old folder with Scholars articles, ideas in it. How, oh, how's that oh. for the throwback? Last now, opened in 20, 2010. Yikes. <laughs> yikes. We've been, yeah. we've been doing uh, weird stuff like this for a long time. So I think my gaps uh, slash critiques of the article will be very, very predictable. So number one, there's a, overwhelming dominance of imperialist white male voices, not only in the lit theory that he's applying in the situation, but in his, in his bibliography, I counted, you know, four, four non white male voices to the 20 white male voices that he had European, not just white man, but European. Uh, so, uh, I, but I think that is very standard for the time, um, as lit theory pushed into game studies, uh, understandably so that was where lit theory was at the time it was very um homogenous and colonialist we could say so that would be my first gap i think uh this looking back on it now i wish that instead of being so committed to lit theory um articles like this that kind of became the bedrock of game studies were more open to theories of like storytelling and oral history and some more peripheral um like methods of storytelling than actual lit theory or high theory or whatever i think that would have been much more interesting and more generative and um in the long run for our discipline i think there is a lack of attention to co-emergence between player well player author slash designer and the game as a text um outside of an agonistic framework i think he relies too much on an agonistic framework whereas the player's trying to make sense of this, or he, you know, the player's trying to dominate the story and you're fighting back at the, at the, the story's fighting back at the player, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas like today we would talk more about the co-emergence and of identity and reality and these things as players interact with games as texts. So that's lacking a bit. Um, I also thought it was really interesting when he went into this, um, idea that right now in game studies, which was 2003, we study games as these individual, we're studying individual games because we have kind of um, overreacted to the ludology narratology debate as being like so dominant. So we don't, we've like shied away from having an overarching theory of game studies. And I wonder like, have we ever come back from that? I, I don't know. Twenty Here we are 20 years later. Like, do we have 
a field of game studies or do we have people who are interested in games in a bunch of different fields and then we have you know this one journal or a couple journals like do we have theories that we apply um to games you know procedural rhetoric i I think was a very dominant theory for a long time but we've you know sort of moved away from that we as a discipline sort of immediately see the problem with overarching theories and then shy away which leaves us i think a little in out there like compar- comparatively to more established disciplines like communication study you go to communication study they have a model they have a book they have a textbook they have a model they have a theory they have a way of applying it boom and we certainly don't have that so well, i think i think we do we it's not singular not which is not to say that like communication is it has a singular thing but there are game studies programs uh Mm -hmm. that are focused exclusively on game studies it's not just like a media studies program that has folks who do games in it there are game studies programs are there game Uh, studies programs or game design programs there are both not too many no there aren't um but also i think that you are right to observe that because it's an interdisciplinary field it emerged you know from many different disciplines and so it is um very kind of uh it's not monolithic there's not like well this is the program that founded this whole field and these are the scholars who invented the field and did the cutting edge research and this is you know and so the other places sprung up from their students and no it was just a bunch of people saw what was happening with this new medium and were like I've got stuff to say about like academic stuff. My training helps me understand what's going on here from a literary perspective, from mm-hmm. a computer science perspective, from a storytelling perspective, from a, you know, audio visual design perspective, from a, right? Like this, all yeah. of these different perspectives, people came to it um, on their own. And so um, I think in some ways that's valuable and they all brought their own theoretical kind of training to it. Yeah, it's and more so- like a mangle. Uh, if you, you could go with Pickering's Mangle, you could go with a, a rhizome from Galu- uh, Deleuze sure. and Guattari. You could go with, you know, uh, any number of sort Nodes of actor network. network theory from mm-hmm. the tour or any any of that sort of uh, approaches or, or metaphors. Uh, but really what it amounts to is, I think, a much more distributed and richer uh, approach to understanding what these things are doing. The the challenge with that distribution is getting everybody talking to each other. Because yeah, it's absolutely. very easy to like I constantly feel like I you know am missing important journals <laughs> that are probably doing really smart stuff in games that because they originated from you know not my uh bailiwick, not my purview, not my wheelhouse. Nice one. Uh it was never on my radar to, to mm-hmm. completely mix up all the metaphors. So that's the challenge. But I think if we can rise to and meet that challenge and have productive conversations across the aisles, across the towers, between yeah. the silos, whatever metaphors, uh, throughout the network, uh, then we'll be all the stronger for it. But And I, I do the, think we have, there are, there are uh, some mic drops um, mic drop moments throughout game studies that I think we've both observed. Uh, Magna Giants was one of them for me. That was a mic drop that had ripples throughout all disparate areas of game studies. I think move shifting away, exposing a colonialist um, 
history in game studies and moving away from it. Trammell's work, I think, is set to do that as well, if not doing it already. So there, there definitely are um, moments that probably equally ripple throughout. But you're right, we don't have the same X, you know, X, Y, and Z scholar that had that X, Y, and Z scholar come after them and X, Y, and Z scholar come after them. So I mean, makes sure. just different, different. And and even yes. that might be a too tidy grand narrative of how academic fields work in general, right? Like maybe that's not uh, a, a good kind yeah. of uh, kind of comparison or analogy. It just feels as though game studies is much more distributed than many other uh, sort of academic pursuits or disciplines. Yeah, I would almost say like there's a narrative and then a counter narrative in a lot of fields that I've dipped a toe in. And I don't even sure. know if we have a narrative and accounting. I mean, besides after ludology, narratology. Well, I remember reading uh, Elizabeth Losh, uh, Virtual Politics. She gave there was a chapter in there that I remember because she tried to give a history of the sort of burgeoning field of game studies. And um, she gave at that time, this is maybe I don't I'd, I'm going to look it up quick. When did Virtual Politic uh, come out? I'm going to guess 24. 14. Um, it came out in no 2009. Nine. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Uh, yeah. I was going to say 2011. When it came out in 2009. Because we read it in PhD. I was way too late. She, she gave a history of the game studies field, and it was like three distinct steps. And the middle one was game studies narratology. Mm. Uh, and the third one was gamification. The first one was like a throwback to Plato. Like they were talking about simulation all the way back in, you know, cave, caves and shadows on the wall. We still love right? doing that. And so um, game gamification is still a, a current issue, but I see a lot more happening, especially as you noted with the kind of pushback and, and um, increased discussion and attention on anti-colonialist, uh, you know, significance in games. But I, I think there's, you can't you Gamergate uh, as a cultural phenomena after oh, yes. gamification, right? Um, there's obviously a lot that has happened since Losh published that. Um, but in general, I was struck by how <clears throat> how much my early thinking about games was inspired by Kuklich's framing of what mattered mm -hmm. in in trying to come up with a sort of theoretical perspective on how to make sense of games yeah. in this way and all of the careful hedging and nuancing about you know pushing back against theoretical imperialism yeah. and bringing uh an adroit uh narrative framework that is a good fit to games so much of that is like man yeah that that i can see looking back how invested I was in all of that. Uh, I, I thought about that as I was career. reading it too. Like this article <clears throat> makes so much sense to me that it stood out as kind of the genesis of your like, oh my gosh, I can do this. It gave you permission to sort of shift onto, onto game studies. And, um, and it was not that for me. When I look back at like what really lit my fire, like the, the Janet Murray's, you know, the yep. um, Haraway, the even like my night life as a night elf priest, like some of that or earlier stuff that was oh, yeah. really that was that was written mostly 
from a from a from not a feminist perspective, but like a like a here I'm I identify as a woman navigating through games. This is my experience. This is what's happening with identity. This is what's happening with sexuality, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, like that, I think is what lit and that and that makes so much sense when you and I come at these articles from our various perspectives. Why? Why? Because this clicked with you. This is well, part of how so, you see games, and and the other stuff is how I do it. Yeah, and and it's not like this was the most profound thing that I read. This was literally the first game right. studies article I ever encountered, and I don't mean game studies from because it was published in the game studies journal. I mean academically, scholastically, mm-hmm. the first thing that talked about games in in this you know uh, fashion, yeah. the first one, and from this, like I went and looked. I found Hamlet on the holodeck and mm-hmm. first person, you know, uh, and uh, uh, all all of that from this one article. So it's not that this was like the best or even necessarily the most uh, the one that left the biggest lingering impression. It was just literally the first your Never. gateway. It was my gateway, my yeah. gateway. So, yeah, that's so great. That's so great. Well, um Let's see. Do you have anything that you loved or that gave you pause you want to talk about that we didn't cover? I I don't know what to do with all of this now. It feels like, you know, it's an interesting historical artifact in trying to understand, you know, the time that time in the the field or discipline where people were trying to make sense of games and what games capacity for storytelling and narrative were Mm -hmm. Uh, but all of that feels so far behind us and almost trite now that i don't know what like this is of historical value but it makes it does make me wonder like what do we do now how would we update this now the kind of questions you were raising Mm -hmm. earlier about like what do we have an overarching theory or theories? And if so, what name would we put to them? But also if we were to try to enrich the kind of references uh, and diversify them, uh, how would we think about storytelling in games now um, in a way that is more illustrative of uh the diversity that we want to kind of point to and respect through storytelling traditions. Um, And so, and that, that sort of stuff is happening and we've read about it and looked at it. Um, But it, it often feels much more grounded in specific games and examples in a way that this was like, I am above all of it. And I will talk about, you know, perspectives and theories in a way that will transcend specific examples and apply to everything. So, I mean, I mean, that that stuff, I think that's very perspicacious. Can I say that? Um, and, and I think you're, you're definitely right. We have, I don't know how you update this. I think we've fallen out of love a little bit with, with the idea that we can find universal theories for finding meaning. You know, I think we read, at least I read about experiences and I like, I think about, um, Kashona Gray's work on understanding Xbox Live interactions and things like that is kind of the closest I can get to like overarching theories of things that I think hold up in in multiple situations. I don't want to say they're universal, but um, but even that's like pretty specific and story based and 
you know, something like well, that. To be, so. to be fair, I don't think Kuklich is is proposing a universal theory here. I think that might be a dis, you know, uh, an ungenerous reading. I think he is trying to show ways that narrative and narrative frameworks can be useful in understanding games. I, I don't think I he's will... saying that these are these apply to all games necessarily, although it does. Let seem me be to... more specific. I think the conversation that he's entering is trying to sure. find a universal theory. I don't That's I don't fair. know if he cares one way or another. I'm, I don't necessarily get that from this piece, but the conversation around narratology and ludology and and those types of things are about finding a way to understand X, a way to understand Y, you know, and then it's like, oh, it's this or this. And then you get in the middle. Oh, it's both, you know, but I think that's a preoccupation with finding a way to approach games. And I don't know if we have that same impetus. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. That makes sense. So I guess uh, if I if I had to give a bottom line, a final sort of takeaway, um, I think it's really interesting personally to to go back to something you know that I haven't read uh, from a very long time ago and give it a careful read. And I know a lot of uh, scholars and academics, <laughs> better better ones than I, uh, do that regularly. And I often don't have the chance, opportunity, or energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't and can make the time or scratch up the energy. It's really interesting to to go back to some of your either favorites or the ones that you remember from 20 years ago and and see how they hold up and engage in the kind of thought experiments of like, how would I update this? What how would I respond yeah. to this now? What is like a 20 year uh, postmortem or reflection on this look like, given the, the direction that things have gone? Yeah, I think that's a great bottom line. I do have a viewer question here before we close um, that I want to throw out that I did not warn you about on purpose. Um, Uh So the question is this new teacher in um, game design, specifically teaching uh, Unity in game design, is trying to um, find a theory that uh, he can use to explain to his students the way players encounter information. So he has come up with this model. I have it on my screen over here in case you're wondering what I'm looking at. Came up with this model where players receive new information that, and there's, you know, X, Y, and Z questions you should ask about that encounter. A player makes a decision based on the information provided, a series of questions. And then the player makes a decision that has consequences in the game. And he's wondering in game design and game studies, if there's a a dominant theory that encompasses this moment in a game, receiving information, making a decision and in, you know, influencing the rest of the game. If there's any theories that talk about that, that he could, he made one up obviously, but that he could yeah. present to his students. I said, I don't know. <clears throat> I thought I would pit, present it to you. Cause you have a good memory for that. And then present it to our audience to see if anybody wants to send in an article or book. It strikes me that that is there are tons of fields, uh, different fields that all have subtly different or wildly different um, disciplinary perspectives and takes on that from, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, cognitive scientists saying like this is what is happening in your brain as, you know, your synapses are firing and, you know, your mirror neurons are, you know, uh, lighting up and you're seeing this information, how your brain processes it. 
Mm-hmm. There's rhetoricians who are like, all right, so let's figure out, you know, uh, what it is that the audience is seeing and what messages is being are being how you're being persuaded, yeah. How how that information is being conveyed. But I, you know, and then also like even uh, philosophers and folks thinking about like uh, transhumanism or posthumanism, because in all of that, I'm wondering like, where's the hardware in all of that? Mm-hmm. Like, you, they're they're not just interacting in a in a vacuum. They're, they are pressing buttons and thinking about things. Usability f- folks, you know, doing either from HCI or CHI or yep. even usability from tech com or, you know, user experience design is is also an interdisciplinary field. And they all have different ways. Yeah, I sent him an iterative feedback loop design model. I was like, this right. is the closest I can get to what you're doing. But he wanted a game specific one. And I don't know. Um, I, I think I really um, I would want to ha- I'd have to think about it. Okay. Um, because there are a, a bunch of them, none of them that I would like point to and be like, here's exactly what you want. Right. Like if, if, you know, there are a lot and I'm not sure based mostly what I'm getting hung up on is the use case of like, what is accessible for students to sure. frame it usefully, um, for them to make sense of my gut instinct as a rhetorician would be like rhetoric. Rhetoric and usability, user experience design will help you frame how they are coming to that mediated communicative act. I think they're they like, what about a picture? Like I sent the iterative design feedback loop from, I don't even remember which theorist it was because there's a bunch of different ones. So like, here's a model that you can give to your students. They can sink their teeth into. There's five steps. I, I, so I think I know the one you're talking about. There's one on like the Nielsen Norman website of like the iterative, you. you know, process. I really like Christina Watke has a design thinking diagram that is just phenomenal. Um, and it captures like a really uh, nuanced um, depiction of how recursive design thinking is the various stages of intervention and the different methods that go into making sense of design thinking at each of these sort of stages and why and how uh, the recursion happens to iterate. And so I really like Christina Watke's, but that is not necessarily about butt in seat. You see a screen. How does your brain process it as a player? And more about like, how does game design work? Right. Right. How, how do we make games? Uh, But I, you know, well, yeah. think about it. We could talk about it next week on the podcast. It's I said I would question. throw it out there. I, I thought so too. And and he, yeah, he's doing, he's doing some interesting stuff. And I thought, well, maybe he needs to publish about it. But also you and I are not on the practical, always on the practical end of the game design and game studies world. So maybe there's a game design pro person out there who's like, well, yeah, we have these three models we teach students all the time. You fools, don't you know about this? So send them our way. I'd love to hear all about <laughs> it. If there are some concrete you know, models or pictures or whatever that, I mean, that I can Jess, share. We, we reviewed the P, that piece by Jesper Jewell when, where he made the game prologue, where he tries to do exactly that. Tries to, to explain in like fundamental, pragmatic nuts and bolts terms granularly uh, how we come to, to games and recognize what's going on in games, right? No, I don't uh, remember that at all, so... <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of our most listened to episodes. Too. Go back, go I, I read that article from Jesper okay. Jewell. That's a reasonable starting place, but I think rhetoric can do largely what you're what you're thinking about. What Put you're it watching. in a chart then. Put um, it in a chart. But also 
rhetoric and specifically rhetoric's influence on technical communication and technical yeah. communications understanding or application of uh, user experience design and usability. Those are all that sort of intersection. That's my wheelhouse. That That is how I would try to answer that, but that's because that's who I am. Cool. Well, if anybody else has a different answer or if you have a great question like that, I'd love to throw it out. Let's let's bridge this um, this field that flies all over the place and and start making some rope ladders Embrace to each other. Embrace the network. Embrace the network. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for joining me, Cody. And Thank you. Uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody.